I want to talk with you this morning uh, just uh, about loving God as a people. And we could go a whole bunch of different directions on that, but I really want to just focus on very narrowly on the expectations that we carry uh, when we gather together as a people and how we love God uh, as we gather together as a people. And I, I want to, before turning to the gospel text we just heard, which is where we'll end, I, I want to turn to a kind of an odd story in the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 5, and let me read it to you. This is the story about Ananias and Sapphira, right? It's a story that doesn't end well. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also bought or sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And it messed up that service. <laughs> Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife comes in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry out you also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all those that heard about these events. Interesting Bible text, right? I mean, the first question that comes into your mind is, what in the world is going on here? I mean, this sounds more like an Old Testament God bringing the wrath story than a New Testament, God so loved the world story. <laughs> so what's going on? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 but we can scratch it a little, I think, around the story. And I think that we can find some, some things that will prove helpful for communities of faith like us here in Sanctuary. Um, so first, let's talk about the context of what's going on here in this story. When we look at what's going on in the church in Jerusalem at this point in the narrative given to us by Luke, we find that people are caring for one another, sacrificially caring for one another. If we read the narrative just a little bit before the story is told, this is the chapter before, chapter 4, starting in 32, all of the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the fact Jesus was risen, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Much grace was on them. 
There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as they had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, one of whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. So there's this thing that's going on. People are giving. They're being sacrificial. Nobody seems to be coercing them into it. They're doing it of their own free will. And this kind of narrative is unfolding. Look how much we are giving to one another. And then the Ananias and Sapphira story drops in. See, remember, there are lots of Jews who had joined the ranks of the church in Jerusalem from the day of Pentecost. They had come, they're called the Diaspora Jews. They were people, Jews, that were living in all different parts of the known world. And they were coming in for the Feast of Pentecost. And when they got there and they saw these guys uh, with the Spirit falling upon them and hearing in their own tongues from which the places they came from, they were preaching of the goodness of God. They opened their lives to Christ and they decide to not just come to the Feast of Pentecost, they're going to move to Jerusalem because they want in. They want to be a part of this deal. Well, the problem is when you have a whole bunch of people, thousands of people moving into a small area, you got to find some work. You have issues to deal with, right? You have children to feed and care for. You have the elderly to deal with. And, and uh, what their attitude was, surprisingly, the church's attitude was, we're going to do this together. You decided to be among us, we're going to share together because this is that important. We are our brother's keeper, is how they thought. We belong to each other. Now, just for a moment, I know we're in the modern world, and there's a lot of things that, I mean, I'm glad we're in the modern world. Sometimes people reminisce, say, boy, wouldn't it have been wonderful to live back then, to be and see all those things happening at that time? All I think about is, man, there's no Tylenol back there. I mean, the average person lived until their early mid-20s, sometimes late 20s, right? So most of you would be dead. <laughs> but there are some really wonderful things about what was there, and there are some really wonderful things about what's here, and sometimes we just have to juxtapose them and ask, what are the things that are really godly, and what are the things that really are not? depending on where you're living. We're living in the modern world, and we live in a very different imagination as Americans. Most of us grew up thinking in our American culture that everybody should be responsible for their own stuff. And if you come in here and you have need, well, I can just listen to me. I'll tell you how I got out of my need. Take notes, go home, do it, and good luck. Right? We... If we're not careful, it'd be really easy for us to side with Cain and say, there's no way I'm my brother's keeper. But here in Acts 5, the church is in a real vulnerable place. And they're defaulting to, if you are in need, we are all in need. They're defaulting to, the responsibility for your life is in the realm of us, not just the realm of you. 
And to be clear, they weren't caring for people who were being lazy. That's, that's not what they're doing here. Or refusing to work. The church always deeply rejected that kind of, you know, uh, schmoozing and, and just glomming on people and, and taking advantage of others and not working. In fact, Paul says very explicitly in his writings, if a person does not work, neither should he eat. The needy here were people who were looking for work but couldn't find work. These were people that were in a very vulnerable situation because of this quick transition of moving to a place because they were following their faith and following their heart. They were part of the Jesus movement. They wanted to be in it. So without being urged to, there's church members, they began to sell their houses and sell their land, and they would bring all the money so that the church could distribute to people who had needs. And it was, it was so cool as no one from the narrative asked them to do this. This was done freely, which I think is very important. Right? This is not a message setting you up to give this morning. They valued interdependence over independence. Okay? And, and I, 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 you know, it, it's, it's, independence is something Americans really value, and there's something really wonderful about it. But sometimes what's wonderful can become not so. And, and it may capture, independence may capture the American spirit, but it doesn't always capture the spirit, what the spirit of God is trying to do in our midst. It, I mean, oftentimes people need to take responsibility for themselves. I'm, I'm not suggesting that isn't true. I think it is true. They need to pull their own boots on. But the truth is that that's not universally true. In other words, not in all times at all places, right, is that supposed to be happening. Sometimes God calls us to actually have to depend on others. Some of us hate that. Sometimes we have to say, man, I need help. This isn't working. I can't figure this out. Out. And there's such a vulnerability about that that I think God actually calls us to. He's not just always causing us to be heroes and champions and winners all the time. Sometimes he wants us to say, yeah, I'm a loser. And right now, I can't make it. That's one of the things I love about us saying we believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Because sometimes I can't. But I'm glad I'm with people who can with me. And sometimes my faith is carried by yours, and sometimes your faith is carried by mine, and, and we're in this together. Right, that kind of idea. There's a, a text in Galatians that sounds a little confusing, mostly because life is confusing. And uh, this is Galatians 6. Paul writes, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And then just a couple verses later, he says, for each one of you should carry his own load. So, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I mean, he just said, carry each other's burdens. That's how you fulfill the law of Christ. And then he says, for each one of you should carry his own load. Which one is it? Do we carry each other's burden or carry our own burden? And the answer is yes. Most true things are not universally true. They're... Life and truth is a little messy, and you need to navigate through it. I, I, I'm not suggesting that, that, you know, what we have to remember is that we're part of a culture that, that became very, very scientific in the last couple hundred years, and we only want absolute truths that are true all the time, and we think to say something else is some sort of a compromise, but it isn't. I mean, it's just real. 
Life is not that clear. Independence is assumed in our culture to be the universal axiom. And as a result, we often go at things alone when we really should ask for help. Because we're so focused on our stuff, not only do we go it alone, we don't attend and we're not touched by the needs of the people and the heartache of those around us. Because baby, it's every man for himself, every woman for herself. Dog eat dog, right? And then we even get judgy about people in trouble. Well, if they would just be like me and do this or that, right? We get judgy at people that are in need. This kind of independence spills over into our spirituality. So that, that, you know, for myself, for years, I went to churches that I thought were the best churches. And I, I followed leaders that I thought had it all together. And I thought, if I just follow their lives, and then I would have it all together. Which is, works great in a, in a kind of uh, culture that uh, is oriented toward uh, celebrities. <laughs> I wanted to listen and observe and then go out and do. My conviction was that the church was a kind of pedagogy. It was a place to learn so that once I learned it, I could go and do what I would learn without necessarily needing those people, right? I wanted to be open to them, but I wanted to become the expert eventually myself. See, it spills into us. And, and, and this kind of independence thinking, we just have to acknowledge there's some good to it, but it ain't all good. In the midst of this caring community, in Acts 5, was this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. And they went out and they sold this land. They had seen other people do it. And uh, they basically were trying to, to model this selfless kind of action that a number of others had taken. The husband, Ananias, comes to the apostles. He laid the money from the sale in front of them. And he claimed that he and his wife were giving the whole amount of the sale just like a number of others in their community had done. But he was lying. Couple of points. There's no evidence that any church leader had encouraged anyone to do this. People were acting on their own initiative. Okay, that's important. Here's another point from verse three. We read it a moment ago, but Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land? But listen to what he says. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? Nobody said you had to go sell your land. It was yours. And there's nothing wrong with it being yours. I mean, the land was legitimately yours. The church has no claim to it. There is no manipulation here. We're not touting, hey, look what these guys did. Why don't you follow? Why don't you be like Joe? Nobody was saying that. But he said, so, hey, this was yours. You didn't have to sell it. And after it was sold, wasn't all the money, he says, at your disposal? In other words, once they sold it, there was no expectation from the apostles, no expectation from the church. Hey, you just sold your land. When are you giving it to the church? No, there's no obligation to give it in order to help those who were struggling in their uh, lives financially. That's not what the problem was. So what is the problem here? This was not about money. This was about honesty and authenticity. See, they were faking care to fit in. They wanted to be a part of the respectable group, the honored group, 
the holy cow group. Holy cow, you gave your money to the right? They wanted to fit in, and it killed them. See, why did God kill them? <laughs> Actually, the text doesn't say God killed them. It doesn't. And uh, you say, well, well, what actually transpired? Nobody knows. I mean, maybe they both ate at the same street vendor, got some bad <laughs> lamb. And the timing worked perfectly for when they died. And Luke just reports it. We don't know. It sure adds strength to the story, doesn't it? What's interesting about this story is not anything other than why is Luke telling this story? What is it saying to these people? What's the punchline here? See, he is saying, well, let me say what he's not saying first. He's not saying you should go sell all your stuff and give it to the vestry board. That's not what he's saying. What the real point of the community here what, what Luke is trying to tell the community is don't live by fake. F-A-K-E. Don't live by fake. Live by faith. See, what if life endures only when we dare to authentically and honestly care about each other? Where we're willing to sacrificially give to each other without being manipulated by others. Leaders. Others around us. We just come in and we think, what's going on? How can I help? Oh, that's so un-American. So Jesus-y. One of the singular marks of God's call to Abraham was that he and his children were to become a tribe. Jews who were to be different than every other tribe in the world. Every other tribe just tried to get blessed. Every other tribe just tried to get strong, and every other tribe just tried to defend their stuff. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the world. So when you get blessed, you're going to use the strength of that blessing to lift nations and help nations. Now, they didn't necessarily do that, right? Didn't necessarily fulfill what they were supposed to have been called to. But the point is, is that Christians, we are part of the children of Abraham, the father of our faith, Paul says. This means that to become God's child as a Christian, we're to enter that same call, that we are to bless others and not just be blessed. How many are glad you can be blessed, have blessing in your life? Absolutely. But, but the calling isn't just to do that. The calling is the fact if we are, it's to be a help. If we're strengthened, it's to give strength to the other. If we're graced, it's to give grace to the other. It's not just to get it and then protect it and fight for it, right? <laughs> this was one of the things I thought was so odd. If you guys remember back to um, Y2K, <laughs> back and some of the believers I would talk to, they say, yeah, the Lord has shown the church that, you know, it's, near, it's, it's just things are going to be real dark. So we bought a cabin in the woods and stocking up a couple of years of stuff and getting some guns and getting in there and protecting it. And then I'm thinking to myself, What? You know, you, you're, like a, you're like little pagan people or something. You're like, you know, some... I mean, my wife asked me, what do you think we should do? I said, well, I think we should do is if everything suffers, we all suffer with people. I said, if we stored up anything, I'd be the first one outside. I said, hey, if you don't have anything, we got stuff in here. And then after we ran, we said, what do you do if we ran out of it? Yeah, we'd die like everybody else. 
It sounds, I mean, I think that's what Jesus would do. I mean, you know, the saints, one of the ways the saints spoke so powerfully to the world is that when people would get sick in these massive cities like Rome, where there was just huge plagues that would go through, the doctors, people, famous doctors like Gallon and all these guys would flee and run out. The rich people would run out of the city when the plagues came in and the Christians leaned in and stayed and took care of the sick and uh, cared for the poor or the sick and also buried the dead. And many of them died caring for them. Why? Because when problems come, Christians run in the middle of it, not claim they've got God's great word and we got wisdom and we protected ourselves off in some woods and bless God, come near my house, you're going to die. I'm sorry, and that was a complete deviation. Our Acts story is an example of how critical caring and sharing was to this early church. Ananias and Sapphira weren't motivated to bless others. They were motivated to be blessed by being seen as honored people and accepted and celebrated people like those who had really sacrificed to bless others. They were trying to fake people out. And through their dishonesty and their disingenuous living, they sought the blessing. They were the first ones to use faith as consumers. What can I get out of this? I'm in this to see what I can get, and it didn't end well. Okay, so which brings us to our gospel text, and i got to shut up. John 21, this is Jesus when he meets with the apostles after he has risen from the dead. We go right to the end of this narrative, it's a rather long narrative that was, you heard. But we get to the end after they were fishing and they come on shore to eat breakfast with Jesus. And it says in verse 15, and when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these, more than all you're doing here? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And watch what Jesus said. Okay, feed my lambs. And Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. Sidebar. Jesus is not afraid of hurting your feelings. Sometimes when he speaks to you, you don't want to hear it. I remember years ago talking to God about my marriage. We had just been married. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with Gail. You know, she, I just expected her to think like a man. And I was praying, you know, back in the day, there was teaching around about husbands and wives, and the woman was supposed to be the queen. It was this teaching that was going on, had been popularized. And I was, I was saying, God, she's acting, she, she, she wants me to treat her like a queen, but she's acting like a dog. I'm actually praying this to God in a service. And I heard, now, this is one of the reasons I believe in God, because there's no way I made this up. I heard, you're the dog. Church! You know what my response was? <laughs> it hurt me! <clears throat> Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
And Jesus said, feed, feed my sheep. See, Jesus connects our loving him to caring for others. I've been in pastoral care for nearly 40 years, 38 years this year. Here's what I've noticed. When we Americans, and I love being an American, don't miss it, I'm not being pejorative here when I use that, I'm just trying to say some of how we've learned to be normal isn't always Christian. But we Americans, when we think of loving God, we think a big part of that is just like doing stuff like going to church, which is wonderful, uh, and lots of us do. But we go to get blessed. We reduce our connection with the church to consumerism. We don't ask, where can I find a place that makes me feel uncomfortable about staying the way that I am? Or challenges me to not forget those who are so easy to forget. The elderly, the sick, the poor, the lonely, the addicted, the refugee, the troubled. See, we don't ask, where can I find a group that will nudge me to care more than about me and mine? Notice Jesus didn't say, if you love me, go find yourself a good place to get fed. I mean, protect what you have and work hard to get in a place that has great music and cool energy. Find a pastor who's funny. You get a lot out of his messages. One that has a great kids ministry, which is really Disneylandish. And keep your kids engaged and wanting to come back, even though they don't have a freaking clue about what Christianity is. And has great parking. And you can get in and get out in one hour. Oh my gosh. The saints came marching in. Because all this self-care will help you love me more. Now, don't misunderstand me. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. And who doesn't want good parking? <laughs> right? I'm, I'm really not just... I'm just saying those things are only wrong when those are the things that really only matter. They're not the most important things. And they don't really help you love God more. They're just good things. If you want to love God, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Think of the other. What's being asked of us by Jesus? Be with the people of God. Engage with the people of God. Serve the people of God. It's the same thing John says when he says, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, engage with his brother, and somehow participate in that person's life whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. All right, so what am I saying is two quick things to pull off. To pull this off, you have to, I, I would suggest a couple of things. One is don't just attend church. Attend to others around you when you attend church. What do I mean? Be present to those around you. Imagine your favorite actor 
or your favorite musician. Maybe you, know, maybe you really love Bono or something. From What if he sat behind you today? Just Bono. Bono. Right? You'd be excited at some point in the service. Maybe after the service, turn around and say, Hi, Bono. Right? You'd be thrilled to chat with somebody that was famous. Do you know that everyone around you is famous in God's eyes? Everyone around you has a story. There's a book that's been written before they even were born of things that God had imagined from them. And when they sit in that row, their dreams of God come true. And what if we get curious enough to look and say, what's going on with you? What is your story? God's working in all these lives that are in this room. Do you even care? Put the face of Jesus on folks. They're worth Jesus to God. Look for opportunities to pray with people. This is supposed to be a house of prayer, Jesus said. So when you're talking with people, C.S. Lewis so famously said, he said, remember that everyone you meet is in a battle. Every one of us are. I mean, if we had a chance to go around and ask, and really you were vulnerable enough to say what's going on, every one of you are. Something at work, something at home, something with, you know, that wonderful child that turned teen on you. Be honest for a second. Do you notice people around you at church? Do you try to present yourself for them? Or do you just come to get blessed? And sometimes you're just disappointed because you didn't like that song. So you're just not sure if you can stay. Maybe the Lord's leading you somewhere else where the song is better. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't lead people out of communities. That's... But I, Shouldn't be for that. That's the wrong reason. That's stupid. It's like this one, I don't know why I thought of this, but this one guy that was going to get married to this woman and he loved her and everything and he's talking. He's a pastor in his 30s. So, and, and he had never been married, which, which I, you know, sometimes that's just an indicator that he's just too perfectionist oriented, right? Because nobody's yet perfect. And so he's telling me, and I said, what's the deal? You love this girl. She's absolutely wonderful. She loves God. She loves being involved with what you do. What's the deal? He just sat there wiggling, wiggling. And he finally said, well, her breasts are kind of small. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth, what happened. I said, what did you do? I said, you're an idiot. I'm a caring guy. Why did I even tell you that story? There was... Brent, I need help. I don't know why I told you that story. Being self... Yeah, whatever it was, there was a reason. Okay, to do this, you have to cultivate a bold caring. To do this, you have to let go of what you think people think about you. To do this, because people will, it's so easy to get in your head and think, well, I'll come across stranger. What will leaders think if I start being nice to people? Will they think I'm trying to do something? Just forget all that. Just give yourself to people. Feed his lambs, right? Cultivate the idea that you're a gift here and that you're needed here. And let go of the need to be recognized before you engage with others in love. And, and lastly, cultivate vulnerability. 
You don't need to be perfect. People, let go of that perfection. Let go of looking like you have it all together. You should just tell people, hey, how are you doing? Say, great, how are you doing? Oh, actually, this was a really horrible week. Just be honest. We, can, we should be able to afford honesty. One of the brothers came up to me before church and said, hey, can I get together with you this week? I said, what's up? He said, man, he said, I don't know. I'm kind of suspicious something's not right in my head, right, basically is what he's saying. I go, I love you, man. I'll meet with you. I love to meet with people that aren't perfect because I ain't. And then lastly, to be a part of this, if you want to love people and feed his sheep, you've got to choose to be part of the team here. The team that makes a place for, to feed people. And to think about church as a place where it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Some of you would have a hard time getting into volunteerism here because it, you have, it's, you're lucky to get here on time. You know, with those 16 children that you had, and it would be hard for you to get here. It's sacrificial to volunteer. But that's the blessing of it. This text in Samuel, the king replied to, or this is David. David was offered some land. He was going to offer a sacrifice to God. And the guy said, I'll give it to you. And David said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. See, you should volunteer precisely because it's inconvenient and love God through it. I'll tell you what, this is a core value to Gail and me all our lives. We went to this really cool church in St. Louis when we were kids and then we were moving to Wisconsin. There were no cool churches. It was just, it was just darkness. And we talked to the pastor and the pastor looked at us that we were leaving in St. Louis and he said, he said, sometimes it's time to receive and sometimes it's time to be the one who gives. And so we left New York, St. Louis and went to Wisconsin and we just started giving ourselves for others in every context we found ourselves in, taking that. Sometimes it's time to give. So it, you're in good luck here this morning um, because there's a volunteer fair going on. <laughs> this whole message was a total setup, man. <laughs> so sign up. 